All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here, uh, as always, with Calvin. Hey. And uh, we have McKinnon on as a guest again, so welcome back to the podcast. What's up? And we're talking about a movie that came out not too long ago. It was at the very tail end of uh, 2021. We're talking about Don't Look Up, which is a Netflix film directed by Adam McKay. I'm pretty excited to talk about this one, and I think it might be a little spicy. I was texting Calvin earlier, and I was asking him what he thought of it, and he said, deeply unfunny. I kind of found shocking because I texted him back and I was like, this is probably like one of the most funny movies I've watched in a long time. I was like cracking up at it. So I think this will be a little spicy episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to uh, bring spice. All right. So we've had a little, I want to say, like bad luck with uh, Netflix movies. Um, it's I mean, either... not really. Netflix has just got bad movies. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. So it's either something that's like really bad, like a Sweet Girl. We did a review on that. I don't even know oh, if you remember gosh. that one. Yeah, I was. I could only think of the harder they fall. I was like, what other Netflix movies have we? And they're so unforgettable. I forgot that yeah. we did them. So we we did like uh, the Nightmare Wolf, which is just something that seemed really uninspired to me. Or like you said, it's something that's just really forgettable, like um, the harder they fall. Which which is surprising because that movie felt like. It had such a good cast and it was like so, it felt fun to watch, mm-hmm. but it ended up kind of building up to nothing. Uh, but I think for me, this movie, uh, Don't Look Up, kind of really turned that trend for me. I, I like this director. It has an amazing cast like Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett, uh, Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, Timothy Chalamet. Like everyone is in this movie. It's like a, it's incredible cast. And uh, I had a lot of fun with this film. So uh, McKinnon, what's your first impression on this one? I I thought it was really funny. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think I was the one who watched it, and I suggested it to you, Connor. Is that right? You had asked me, yeah. You were like, oh, man, I want you to watch this so we yeah. can talk about it. And I was like, oh, I actually just watched it the other day, so it's okay. perfect, yeah. Yeah, so I saw it. It was suggested to me on Netflix. And I was like, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence in the same movie. That's got to be interesting. And I watched it, and I was like, that that was really interesting. I'm glad you found it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you did you like this movie or did you just find it interesting? Because I think there's a I difference I, between the two. There is. I think I liked it because it was interesting. There wasn't... It, it's this, a weird like cop-out answer. I know. <laughs> so I like Jurassic Park because I like what that movie's trying to do and I think dinosaurs are cool. I didn't think that this movie was cool, but I liked what it was trying to do and it was the only movie I could really think of that was trying to say what it was trying to say. And right. I thought that was interesting. Okay, perfect. Uh, Calvin, what were your first impressions of this one? Yeah, so obviously I think it's deeply unfunny. Um, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so I think it's it's deeply unfunny because it's not farcical enough. I mean, there are too many one-to-one com- uh, events that literally happened. Uh, this is a drama. Uh, I mean, almost to a T. There, there's not a moment where it was ridiculous to the point it be it would be funny. Like I've also, I've always struggled with the term black comedies because when I find that when to me what a cl- black comedy would be was some is something so um, so bleak, so dark that it's hilarious because it's so uncomfortable. Have you seen Observe and Report that uh, Seth Rogen movie where he's like a no. he's a mall <laughs> security guard? No, like that's my. Like when I think of a black comedy, that's like the one I really think of. Like he's just a kind of garbage human being, can't get a break, gets beat up all the time, just kind of never manages to catch a break. It's actually pretty good. And it came out in the time where Seth Rogen was just doing a lot of like the weed comedies. Yeah. So this one is a little different for him, but I would recommend uh, Observing oh. Report. That was a good movie. It kind of, the, the weed comedy uh, trend really <laughs> tinged my expectations for that movie, so I was like, I don't need to watch okay, that. Yeah. I figured that's what he was doing when he wasn't working, yeah. or he was probably high while he was working, <laughs> yeah. because that was the joke. Um, but yeah, so there, I I think this is just a drama. I, I don't, I can't think of a single thing that happened in this movie that I was like, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. I was more moved to tears more often. Um, the one time I laughed was an inside joke with, with someone else about, um, you know, we don't need to get into that. It's uh, a little personal. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was the funniest part in this whole movie. And I think the only other thing like that I think is funny about this movie is the editing. Um, otherwise, I don't think that anything significant, like actually funny happens. Editing meaning mostly the camera work? Uh, editing in, in, I'd say the perfect example is when, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character, uh, Dr. Mindy. Yeah. Dr. Mindy is going on an absolute tirade, um, just a few, like, like a couple weeks before the, um, 
uh, comment is about to hit and like halfway through one of the sentences it cuts to him uh with a bag over his head in a car yeah that's hilarious because you you uh it really undercut the expectations of uh, what was happening. And then you have this juxtaposed, like, this is serious, this is real. And like, man, you need to shut up. Like, you're you're disclosing government secrets. Like, that's what they're concerned about, not necessarily the fact that everyone's going to die. So when you compare those two things, that's really funny when it's so abrupt, too. It's a lot of, like, non sequitur, like, Family Guy humor. Like, um, a lot of what makes Family Guy funny is the way it's edited and not necessarily uh, everything that they say is funny. Right. So that's what I th- would say is the strength of this film. And but yeah, uh, for for comedy. Otherwise this is just a drama. Right. My first thought is I mean, I, I love this movie. It is probably in my like top 3 of movies that came out in 2021 to be honest. I think I'd put Oh. I think I'd probably put bold. Lamb and Dune ahead of it. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Not Green Knight, not The Humans. You put Dune too high. I like this. I I I have realized since we started doing this podcast, there's a difference between like enjoying a movie or having fun with it and recognizing that this is like an outstanding film. Those I recognize as like outstanding films, but which one would I rather sit down and just enjoy watching? Mm-hmm. I think I probably put Don't Look Up ahead of something like Green Knight or The Humans. Well, I think those are films that are still saying something that's important. And I, I see those are tough because I don't want to say I enjoyed watching them. I just, I recognize that they're like, these really well done films you mean say don't you don't you didn't uh enjoy watching them you did enjoy watching them but i what i mean is like i didn't sit down and like left the movie more joyful than when i when i started oh sure so I can, I, that's yeah. like that's a kind of a maybe a distinction i've started Wait, but i wouldn't i wouldn't describe that the this movie that way either i wouldn't say i left like thinking more joyful or entertained after watching this i think i felt more entertained i, I had a lot of, entertained i yeah. had a lot of fun with i didn't feel joyful but it was entertaining but the, we also appreciate the jokes more than you did, right? So like, yeah, okay. You'll have to see, you'll have to fill me in on those because I was just like I, I I would throw out maybe like a half smirk every now and then, like oh that's uh, uh. that's biting, that's insightful, not funny. But so you mentioned this. What I would say is I think it is it's amazingly farcical and frustrating and hilarious. Uh, it felt like um, it was written really well, but I found out that a lot of the movie is like actually improv. And so regardless really? of that, yeah, I guess there's a lot of scenes with Meryl Streep and Leonardo DiCaprio, like uh, where he's explaining kind of the gravity of the situation they're in. A lot of that was improv. And there's a, a lot of Jonah Hill stuff, obviously, is improv. I mean, he's kind of known for doing that. But I liked Adam McKay, and it felt like he had a really good premise, and he had an idea of where he wanted the scenes to go. So even if he wasn't like directly a part of like writing it, it seemed like he knew the direction he wanted it to go. And it's so all the scenes like felt really good to me, and they all they all felt like genuine and funny to me. It made me laugh and it made me want to pull my hair out at the same time because it just felt like something that could be real. And you could also argue that this is something that is actually happening right now, which I think is kind of the main message that Adam McKay wanted to get across. And we'll get into more of that later. But now that we have like first impressions out of the way, let's get into the aesthetic, kind of the look of this film. I think for me, I was more focused on what the characters were going through and how they were reacting to the situation they were in. So I wasn't like trying to grab a whole lot of like visually interesting elements out of this film. I thought there was some neat stuff with kind of like the app showing up and, you know, people's TikTok videos and all this. I thought there was some like neat stuff with that. But uh, it seems like, Calvin, I know you kind of caught more of the editing stuff. Like, what did you think of how this movie was put together? Well, not necessarily. So, yeah, a little bit of the editing. But the thing that really uh, stuck out to me was um, there were like a lot of higher minded um, cinematic techniques that I wasn't expecting for a movie that for from a guy who made Anchorman uh, would really employ here. Um, I think there was a lot of uh, really interesting um, uh, depth of field. There's a lot of shallow focus on just characters, faces, and everything else is is blurry behind. You have a lot of quick edits between, like especially if we take, for example, um, Dr. Mindy's tirade, uh, the, the camera's constantly cutting around him, um, not paying attention to. Uh, generally, the rule is that you can think of uh, um, the audience as being one walls of a box, uh, one of the walls around uh, of a box around the actor. So you can only put the camera three places. You can put it like if we're looking at the uh, at the stage, like them sitting around the, the you know their little news anchor chairs. The audience is where the camera is right now in a traditional sense. So you can only ever move the camera 
to the left side, to the right side, and not to the back. Because if you put, put it to the back, then suddenly you're making this a really jarring experience. It's hard for the human mind to, uh, uh, to create continuity when you keep moving the camera so many different places, which is why we always get re shot, reverse shot, when two people are in a conversation. You don't ever get um, the camera moving to the other side of uh, the center line between those two people because that's really jarring. But there was a lot of that going on in that in that scene, which was uh, it was shocking for what felt like a very conventional story to um, to play with in order to create disorientation around this character. So there was a lot of those going on. And then the other thing that I really found interesting was all of the montages of. Um, life on earth and uh things under microscopes and sounds and space and then it would cut to there was one specific cut where it cut to um garbage men collecting trash on the street i thought that was so interesting it was like here's all this wonderful thing here are all these wonderful things about the world and about life and biology and this hope and meaning and then it was like we're collecting refuse because we just produce so much of it right right i felt that that specific edit was very uh was meant to subconsciously plant in your mind that what we're doing to things that are just living is very bad i think that's that's that was on a simple uh in a simple way that that was just one edit that was leaning towards that but the they don't do a lot of those other edits it's mostly just um look at all this beauty in in the world and we're fighting over um this comment and all of it's going to be destroyed because of this inane con uh argument right so let's kind of discuss the premise i guess uh dr mindy and his uh like his assistant kate uh, they've discovered a comet is going to impact Earth, and it's a, a world ender. And so I kind of want to just go through a few of the characters that and, and how they operate within this story. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Dr. Mindy, and I wonder what you guys think of this. I kind of liked his character arc. He starts out as kind of a, like a good man of science, and he's trying to like do the right thing and get this information out because the government and officials don't seem to be taking it very seriously. He kind of has uh, this moment where he's encompassed with fame, and then... He kind of loses track of where he is and what he stands for. And that all kinds of, kind of comes crashing down. And he kind of remembers where he really belongs and where his heart is at in the end. I wonder what did you guys think of his arc? And uh, wh like, what is the importance of these characters in general? Or is the premise really the point? I liked his arc because it makes the end of the movie better, I think. Otherwise, I don't know how you end this movie if he doesn't learn a lesson. Like when he's sitting down with his family. I don't, I don't know how that would hit if he didn't have an arc. I kind of don't think that he learned the lesson because he died. You know, it's kind of... Well, it's, that was out of his control. Yeah, but, but he did learn a lesson. That's the whole thing. It's this whole thing, this this entire, the entire plot of um, what they're trying to do is pointless mm -hmm. because um, it was completely out of their control. Because they're that's, not the people who make the decisions. Right. So that's, I find that his entire character arc distracting. Um, I, I think get it, that, yeah. I feel like you could have... I mean, this movie was like two hours and 19 minutes, so it was fairly long. Um, I don't think that it was too long, but you certainly could have cut some time without the... Without it feeling like it's it's uh, trying to just re, uh, repeat the the same problem over and over. I think they thought that, let's give him this arc of um, a, an affair because it kind of adds a different level of tension as the movie progresses. We think we're going in the right direction and he's drunk off of the power or of uh, thinking that he's, he solved something and he has uh, he can do whatever he wants now, that kind of thing. And it creates a different level, like rather than just the same message being repeated the whole time, it's a nice contrast between um, Jennifer Lawrence's character, Dibiaski, who acts the same way the whole whole movie basically um this distraught nihilism that she has and his naive hopefulness and turning to into her distraught uh nihilism like they both come to the same point but we get a few more bumps along the journey for him but i don't i ultimately don't think that you need that i think you could have added a, uh, a few other um interesting situations of tensions that really spoke to what the message was about as an allegory for for what's going on in government with covid so right right, right. So let's move on to then Jennifer Lawrence's character, Kate. Uh, I read on a, a couple sites, and this hasn't been confirmed or anything, but the budget for this film was $75 million. And between DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, it was uh, DiCaprio was paid $30 million, and Jennifer Lawrence was paid $25 million to be in this movie. 
which means like only $20 million. I mean, that's not including like other actors or anything that appeared in this film. And so I, I don't know where all the budget came from because it seems to have some pretty good visual effects. And while yeah. a lot of it seems to be kind of, uh, I don't want to say low budget filming, but they're not doing like these big spectacular uh, set pieces very often. There's like one at the very end. But I, I, I mean, it is kind of amazing to me if, if those numbers are accurate that so much of the budget just went to these two uh, actors to play these characters. That seems like, uh, I would take those numbers with a grain of salt, but I found it on several several sites, but none of them were like confirmed or I would say like 100% reputable. I think obviously the other 20 mil, the other $20 million went to Ron Perlman, right? Or to pay the comet to make an appearance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times like, the, the more I've researched, like we've done research on movies like this, a lot of times it's one article that just gets cited through a bunch of other blog posts and opinion sure. posts. And I, I think that, yeah, someone just, I don't think that makes any sense because you also have Timothy Chalamet. You also have right. Ron Perlman. You also have some really Meryl expensive. Meryl Streep is in this movie. Yeah, you also have Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill. Like you also have some really expensive CGI shots like of, uh, of the comet, of the little uh, drones doing their thing. Right. And then the whole end set piece of like them landing on that other planet. It's in, that's incredibly expensive right there on top of just shooting a movie right. in uh, what I would assume is New York or LA. I would just... Uh... If you see those numbers, I would. I tried to investigate further. I didn't find any other uh, information beyond that. But it sounds really fishy to me. Like maybe Netflix was trying to kind of lower uh, like expectations of the budget here. That way, when you know, depending on how it was received, it could be like, oh, look, it only cost seventy-five million, and it, it would have done this well if it went to theaters or whatnot. It had a really limited release. It made like seven hundred thousand in theaters. But again, this is a Netflix film, so it was streaming. Uh, that was like the main platform it was on. But I just thought that was interesting. The idea that what, what like two thirds of your budget could go to two actors is kind of insane to me. Yeah. Especially when the, when the cast is that big, that makes sense in the lighthouse. Cause you have two actors. Yeah. I could believe that. Yeah. I, I could definitely believe that. Uh, but what I do like about Jennifer Lawrence's character, Kate, and I've been critical of Jennifer Lawrence on this podcast before, but I thought her unfairly. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was appropriate for the ones we've talked about, but I, I thought her comedic timing was excellent in this. There's a great running joke that she has about the general who charged them for like water and chips in the White House and it turns out they were free. And she just keeps mentioning it throughout the movie. And I was like, I was cracking up every time it was brought up. She was like, but they were free. Like, what kind of power move is that? I was so tired of that joke. I was oh, like, really? why oh. Why is this being brought up so much? <laughs> I, thought, that's, I, thought, I think that's why it was funny because yeah. the, the, the number, there's a lot of, uh, you can think of comedy as as being a lot of different formulas. And I think that's one of them. There's a, there's a sweet spot for repeating something in name yeah, yeah. that ultimately becomes funny. But that third one where she's just lying down, looking up at the sky next to Timothy Chalamet and like, they were a five-star general in the White House charges you for snacks yeah. <laughs> i i thought that was like i that was like i was like okay that's that's pretty funny yeah um i liked it i probably liked that joke a lot more the first time i watched it the second time i watched it i was like i don't remember her saying this this much but yeah i also like jennifer lawrence a lot in this movie i've also been critical of her probably too much yeah i would I, say so i i I, <laughs> I think that this is probably my favorite of her performances but that's man that's uh i know that that's bad but i'm, I'm comparing her to movies like um passengers i think that she plays this character a lot better than she did in passengers yeah I that's didn't... that crappy chris pratt movie yeah yeah okay that one didn't look like yeah it I, it looked to me like alien without the aliens it's boring yeah interesting <laughs> it's really boring what would you title a movie that's alien without the aliens it would just be a period <laughs> yeah exactly um but one of the things i liked about her character and i think is important to this movie we talked about dr mindy how he seems to kind of lose touch and a lot of the characters in this movie are, they they are oblivious or don't care about like the kind of cataclysm that's heading their way. And it's important, I think, to have a character like Kate around to keep the audience grounded and keep the story grounded to just have a constant reminder like, hey, remember how serious this is? And yeah, this movie is kind of a commentary and it's satirical and it's farcical and it's trying to kind of make a joke out of this. But it's important to still have someone ground it. And that's where I thought her character worked really well in this film. Yeah, she's basically the straight man for all of the, right. the comedic timing. And that's actually, I think that's really why I don't like the fact that you have a character arc for Mindy. Is because really what you should have is uh, a bunch of archetypes clashing. Like, this is how everyone basically thinks they should solve this um, 
this problem and the tensions that come out of all of these varied ways of looking at a problem that are self-serving or they're ambivalent, they're nihilistic or they're overly idealistic, those that's where the comedy comes from and that's where also drama will come from too. I don't think that you need added drama uh, of the added drama of an affair. I think you just described this movie though. Everyone is an archetype and they all have they'll have a different motive for the comet except yeah. for Mindy. Except, that's yeah. that's the problem. He, I find him distracting then. If he had just Got stayed it. the same way and not uh decided to go off the rails and become a uh I I just think you can throw out the entire affair. Like I can understand him like um kind of getting uh, uh, lathered up in a way like, oh, I, everyone likes me. Like, I can be the the uh, uh, White House chief correspondent for science or whatever. I don't remember what that I, was. Cause I, I, was I like, think I can agree with that. Like, removing the affair, I guess, if you want to go that far. But I think you need to you need to have enough of a branch off between Kate and Dr. Mindy. Otherwise, you just have two of the same character. And yeah. I don't think this movie really needed that. So. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And I think that, too, it's a, it's a smart way of, like, having him, like, try and play the middle ground um, so that he's on the board, like he's in the cabinet meetings. So that makes sense. But, I yeah, just, I just don't think he needs to learn anything from it because that's not that's not the point of this movie. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I just I wonder what the end of the movie would be like if he doesn't have an arc because the fact that he sits down and has dinner with his family as the world is ending means something because he lost his family at one point. I think it's actually even more depressing thinking that he did everything that he could. Um, he wasn't, you know, he thought that he was really helping facilitate good discussion and ultimately it was stuff happening behind his back and then so he just goes back home and just sits down with his family and dies. It would be I more think depressing. That's, yeah. that, that's exactly, and that's I think this movie is already sad and depressing as it is i think that would have been um a better way of doing it then like because it's almost like a happy ending because he gets taken back by his wife that he cheated on and he's like trying to atone for his sin for his sins i don't think that um he, he's the wrong person that that needs to atone you know what i mean because he's not the problem with why everyone died it, if you were going to have a redemption arc for someone, it should have been someone like the uh, president, or like something. the president. But it's we'll but that's not this type that. of movie. We'll so, get yeah. more exactly. into that at the end because I right. actually love that she doesn't. She's not apologetic. She exactly. doesn't feel anything for it. So Absolutely, I think that's something we'll 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 circle back to. But speaking of uh, President Orlean, who is played by Meryl Streep, I mentioned that I think this movie is incredibly frustrating, and this character really personifies all the reasons why I think this uh, movie is so frustrating. She is uh, very casual about this serious event, doesn't seem to care, uh, is not taking anyone seriously. And I think that is a perfect representation of how a lot of people think government officials are. There are a lot of issues that are important to an individual, whether it's something like climate change or, or health care or war or whatever, whatever event you want to uh, is important to you. You can always find a way to criticize the government official who isn't taking what you think is serious seriously. And this character does a great way of personifying that. I think Meryl Streep is perfect. I think this character is perfect for this movie. And I love the way it worked. What did you guys think of, of uh, I guess she was referred to as the goat on set. <laughs> and she didn't really know what it meant. Like greatest of all time. <laughs> uh, this is a fun fact Hannah told me about actually. But like Jennifer Lawrence would say it to her and she would just make like, bah, noises. Like she didn't know, <laughs> she didn't know what it meant. And she thought it was like maybe like, oh, an old goat. Like they yeah. were kind of maybe a J-batter oh. or something, but it turned out it was like, no, you're the greatest of all time. Like, So what did you guys think of Meryl Streep in this film? I think she's exactly the problem I have with this movie. It's <laughs> perfect. So like I said, I knew this was going to be spicy. Yeah, she is. Um, she seems she seems uh, too understated and too real. I think as a one-to-one uh, counterpart to Trump, she is not... She's not over the top. We have a world where a sitting president suggesting, suggested uh, injecting ourselves with bleach to kill a virus. She says nothing more ridiculous than that in an entire movie that's meant to be ridiculous. That's why this is not funny. It's because real life is has surpassed the limit of satire for what we would find like you're really getting into Monty Python territory. You really have to <laughs> right. go you really have to go full holy hand grenade to to make this story funny because real life is so horribly depressing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I, like this didn't even meet that expectation. Yeah, okay. I, I suppose sit, I sit tight and assess. That is that sounds like boring uh, speech. That like you know that's uh in in a time in the seventies and eighties like wow that's frustrating and that's ridiculous. No, on you know now like on video we have someone suggesting like you know can we just uh, expose our insides to the sun and that would kill the virus. Right. Or yeah, or like uh shoot ourselves with UV. Like I actually had to watch that video like multiple times to think like like I read like people like talking about it in other political articles and I just like I I feel like they're getting this a little bit more out of context and I just watched it and I was like, This is like a twelve year old, like the first time they, they got to the, the concept of soap. I'm like, Oh, so we can just eat soap and I never would like I'll never have health right. problems again. Like, so I think the so, reason, yeah, it's just so naive. Like for someone to like the first time they're grappling with like a real world situation. That's what real life feels like. I don't think at any point that she ever feels out of touch enough to be funny. I guess the reason I think it works for me is I don't consume a lot of news and media in that way. Oh, calling me out, huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just I understand why it didn't hit as well for you because you mm-hmm. that that you're more in that sphere than I am. And so when I watched this movie, it did feel uh, out of touch enough, and it did feel uh, satirical enough for me to still find it funny. I do understand that if I probably consumed more of that media, not like I'm completely out of touch. Like I know what Omicron is. I I, I think I'm pretty well versed, um, but I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't like, I, I want to say like you're desensitized to how this movie could have been funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I find it strange that um, like we'll, we'll get into like the, the whole production of this movie that like someone like Adam McKay didn't turn up the, the farce to the highest level. Right. right. Um, so that, that, that's really what I find the most strange is a, a very public figure who is aware of all of these news stories didn't add more elements like that right mckinnon what did you think of meryl streep how does she function in this movie did you enjoy it no she was really frustrating (laughs) uh (laughs) i i the first time i watched this movie i was about halfway through it when i realized that this is actually how real life could be right right and she was ridiculous but that is exactly normal behavior for someone in presidential office at some point you know like that's something i could see happening yeah I think, concerned about midterms that's, exactly that yeah. that part was ridiculous and at the same time so very true yeah but beyond that everyone in this movie is like cartoonish but then you realize that that is actually how everyone could be like they go on the talk show and they're being nonchalant about the comet it's like putting a happy spin on it exactly like, yeah, we yeah. Kind of don't really talk about serious stuff here it's like but this is so serious yeah i was i was talking to a friend that i was telling him that we were going to do this podcast and i was watching the movie and he was like yeah i couldn't i couldn't actually finish that it was too real like i don't like with the everything going on in the world right now he's like i don't want to i want to watch a movie about how nonchalant people are right with like the pandemic and stuff and i was like gosh that is a totally legitimate response to have to this movie <laughs> Yeah, I I probably wouldn't. I mean, I'd finish it just because I like taking apart movies. But there was just like even the whole part with Peter Isherwell uh, as being like a, a counterpart to Elon Musk. Oh, we can talk about that next. Uh, that's played by Mark Rylance. Mm. And we have a review on Ready Player One coming out where he plays Halliday in that movie as well. Oh, that's him. Yeah. He huh. plays like the same meek it's nerd exactly in every same movie. <laughs> I hated that guy. It was, it was the same character as Ready Player One. Yeah, that's exactly what I ah. latched on to. As soon as I watched this movie, I was like, oh, it's just Halliday. The way he pronounces everything. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who's that who's that, guy from, who's that guy from fa- Family Guy who always whistles through his... Oh, the, uh, the like old grandpa? man? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The that's... old man who lives down the street who has like a... He's always hitting on... Uh, on Chris. On Chris, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, oh, man, it's been hey, so long. Hey, mostly arms. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I could think of whenever he was like... <laughs> he was on screen in both movies. I didn't realize that it was the same one. Yeah. But now I see it because, yeah, he like whistles through his dentures. I love him in this movie, though, how, again, it's just like kind of how out of touch he is, like a big business mogul, but he doesn't really understand interacting with people, which I guess you like you mentioned is like a comparable to like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Well, I say specifically Elon Musk because he was railing against uh, the California um, quarantines because he didn't want to shut down production. Right. And he just like that. That's just so fascinating to me like that. You can think that like it's playing out exactly what we feared um, originally. Like we did all of the quarantines because we cannot have everybody sick because you will have the same thing, people away from work, but it will be much worse, like it is now. Like, 
King Supers is striking. Everybody like wild, we right? have we have crazy supply chain shortages because everybody is sick at the same time. So to be out of touch, like this whole point, man, it's like to to help keep your company going for the long term. Like is you're gonna slow down production a little bit, but this really intense period where everything gets shut down right now will be much worse for your business. So Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's all I was going to say. I'm just very frustrated by someone who, th- who would think that like, like even like you have all of this data that would show you this very commonsensical thing. Everyone cannot get sick at the same time. You cannot have something where people are constantly getting sick because you're going to have the same problem. So if we quarantine, then we can create expectations about how many people are going to be out at a given time, how many people can work and create models from that. So someone that's data driven should understand that. So I don't understand how you can be that out of touch. Right. I, I And I, I like that you're bringing all this up because I, this movie is absolutely a commentary on not just COVID and, and not just like climate change. You could really assign it to like any major issue that we have. And, and we'll get into it later. But that's one of the reasons I think this movie works so well. And to have like this character kind of play the role of like tech billionaire who doesn't really understand like the common man's plight. And is so out of touch with it that he's willing to let a potential Earth-destroying comet hit the Earth for financial gain is is something, again, like McKinnon said, too, it feels too real at some points in this movie. And I love how this character functions in the movie. Despite playing kind of a small role, he has like a big impact on how the movie moves forward narratively. Yeah. I think one of my other favorite comedic parts is when they're on stage for the demonstration of the new Bash 14 phone. And the little girl was like, uh, Mr. Ishwell, can I say something? And he was like, no. I love that. I was, I was going to bring that up. Again, just how out of touch he is. Like, just, I love when no. they in, when they introduce him onto stage. Like, no negative facial expressions yeah. and no like eye contact or something like that. Yeah, it's, so it's funny. funny how they say that twice. They say that about Mr. Isherwell and they say that also about um, Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett's character. No one make eye contact while yeah. I was, And I thought that was, yeah, it's also another level of that. These people are removed from the plight of everybody else and this way they don't care because everything is going so great for them. So a fun fact about the phones used um they are they're called red phones and i can't remember the parent company but it's a company that uh, they rolled these out and they bombed because they were just way too expensive and they didn't work well weren't connecting to networks well and so it's it's funny that they use those as like a prop in the movie to show like like this product in real life was an absolute was absolute trash so it's based on a real phone yeah the the phone they used was a real phone it wasn't like designed for the movie they bought these phones specifically because it was from a company that made a really crappy phone i thought that that was and then used it in the film to like make fun of that phone because this company uses it i thought that was such a weird thing that they were demonstrating this phone that didn't tie into the plot at all after that i mean it ties into the plot at the very end in the post-credit scene i guess (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that so Let's talk more about Adam McKay. Now that we've kind of set up the premise and we know some of the players involved in this story. All right, so Adam McKay, he's done films uh, more recently like Vice and uh, The Big Short. Calvin mentioned earlier he did, he also did Anchorman, which is kind of wild to me, and mm-hmm. Talladega Nights. He also did The Other Guys. Uh, so I love The Other Guys. Right? It's so good. I love The Other Guys. It's really interesting to me how he moved from like just pure comedies into, I because I saw Vice and I saw Big Short and they are both like, pretty dense content that are told in a kind of a fun way to make it more accessible to a general audience, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I found those movies interesting for sure. And the way they're put together, I think is really similar to how this movie's put together. It's a very dense topic. It could turn off an audience very quickly if it becomes too real. But I think by keeping it farcical and satirical makes it accessible. It makes a, a general audience not just turn off to it immediately. So that's kind of the background of the director of this film. Yeah, I also find it interesting that it was supposed to just be an allegory of climate change and then production got shut down for COVID. And at that point, things got so ridiculous that he actually had to make big changes to the script because it was it didn't even reflect real life anymore, which is funny because I still don't think it reflects real life, um, that how, how stupid real life is. Um, like That's kind of I get where you're coming from, but it, it is it must be frustrating to try to write a farce or a satire where you don't even meet the expectation of day-to-day life. Yeah. That's got to be frustrating to kind of have to change it up halfway through filming and be like, oh my God, things are way crazier than I was expecting. I need to pump this movie up even more. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's the whole point behind this. And so it really became both an allegory about climate change, which is why Leonardo DiCaprio was interested in the first place, because um, I'm sure uh, you guys have seen some of his, his oh, commercials. Yes, of- like, yeah, that's like his like his like uh, like calling in life besides, um, you know, 25 year old women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really good oh my goodness i don't know i can't remember if it's him or tom cruise but there's an expiration date for his girlfriends it's like 29 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> literally like every suit they get to 29 and like getting a little getting a little a few more lines than i like time long to, in the tooth then. yeah time to so yeah it literally his uh there's like an age chart of like over the years like as his girlfriend gets older she hits a certain point and then it drops to the next girl <laughs> yep so so he has like some redeeming qualities, like his uh, his uh, activism for climate change. So, which is why he was interested in this movie, of course. Mm-hmm. I know he's done a lot of award speeches that surround climate change, which has turned a lot of people off to liking him as an actor. But again, I think there's a point where I suppose you have a platform, and if you want to say something, like you you can and you should. I also I think, think that's exactly what this this movie is talking about. Right. Is like Mindy had that platform and really wanted to take advantage of it and even if it meant like uh throwing away uh, like like he got distracted for a little bit but ultimately threw everything away because um the the situation was so dire that they had to do something my issue with like athletes or actors and actresses who have a platform and they say a lot of things is just because you're a fan doesn't mean you need to listen to it wholeheartedly i'm not criticizing leonardo DiCaprio specifically i believe that climate change should be talked about and should be acted on my point is you have a lot of people who say things and you just take it as truth because they're famous. Like you, I think there's an important role that you as the consumer play in like doing your own research and understanding the topics that are being talked about. There's just, that's, that's one of my criticisms of people who it seems you get fame and all of a sudden you're credible. And I don't believe that is true. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's important to note that a lot of like the... I mean, the the science around climate change is almost unanimous. You're talking about 90 to 95 percent of all scientists agree that human activity has contributed significantly to uh, greenhouse gases and to climate change at an exponential level. Right. That that's, type of that's consensus. not the one I'm criticizing because I, I that's something I believe in personally. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's not the one I'm I'm criticizing. I just think in general. Yeah, the idea of it. Yeah, like why we why would we we would ask like uh why does LeBron James know more about XYZ in the economy than I do? Right. I think it's kind of it's also kind of uh um weird to ask uh like athletes on the topic of vaccination like especially like the whole Novak Djokovic thing. Um like they don't really like they have like some idea like they they just give their stock answer of like um, you know, this is what I'm told we should do this. Right. But like beyond like why, like those personal opinions, like a lot of times they can be very, they can be very harmful because really what they should be doing is if you ask that person a question, they should be directing someone who has knowledge on the topic, which is the whole point of like why, what, uh, DiCaprio is, is talking about. It's like, look at all of these scientists saying these things when the, because the only real reason, the only, like when you get into, um, like philosophy that deals with uh, the theory of uh, acquiring knowledge. Like the best way I think in this world that we really have of verifying anything is when when a lot of people uh, understand the same thing the same way. That's obviously not a good uh, model. That's not like the best model because things can go in the wrong direction. But when you're talking about science as its current state, that's really what you need to look at is like, this is the consensus because given all of the data, given all of the history, this is the best way forward. No, I think what you're saying is a good point And it is told well in this story, which I think is the point. Like you talked about Adam McKay, uh, everything I read is essentially, this was supposed to be a story about his concern with climate change. And I think it is conveyed really well because it's a topic that is, and it's a topic that's not really discussed enough, especially like in the media, it seems it's like kind of put a spin on it, or it's not really talked about in a, in a valuable way, which is how the media operates in this story as well. It's everyone as uh, like Tyler Perry's character is trying to kind of, he's like, hey, you know, we don't really talk about these things. It's supposed to be, this is an upbeat show because people don't want to hear about how bad things are. But the point of this movie is like things are bad now. And the only way to really convey that to people in this story is instead of making it climate change, like that's uh, the comet acts as a surrogate for that. And that's why I think this story works out really well 
because humanity in general will look at a world-ending comet impact and immediately recognize, like, hey, this is a huge problem. We need to do everything we can to stop this. The point that Adam McKay is trying to make is that same thing is happening right now, and we're not acting on it. We're not doing enough about it. So that's that's why I think the story works so well, and using the comet as kind of a, a place taker makes a lot of sense to me. Right. And especially when we talk about like when Dibiaski goes home um, and her family's like, we don't, you know, no politics here. Like, well, if we can't even agree on the basic principle that like a the comet exists, COVID exists, COVID is a real threat. Uh, the comet is a real threat. Those things are not politics. When you get into what we should do about those types of things, those are politics because like you really have to. It's a trade off between um uh, personal freedoms and between general society like those that's really what politics is is like what how do we actually fix this this issue that is clearly there but there is there are so many problems where everyone just says no this thing doesn't exist because i don't want to do countermeasures to uh to fix this right that is that's a that's a really naive way of looking at the world which i find so strange it's not commonsensical at all like this thing exists there is all of this information there that this exists and we can't agree on those fundamental things that's why this movie is not funny to me is because they did not play that up at all it was just like face value this is funny huh like no this is happening man this is not fun right right mckinnon i want to know where do you feel like what's the heart of this movie and what is the message of this movie i think calvin and i have got our our thoughts out on it but do you kind of fall in line with that or do you have any other any other kind of extended thoughts on that i think the message of this movie is obviously that humans need to understand that there are there are bad things going on right now like the pandemic or global warming and stuff like that and we need to just realize that that is a reality and do what we can to stop it like i think that's very heavy-handed in what the message of the movie is okay right i don't think i don't think it's subtle in any way with with the message at all no and, and again i don't think that's the point i think it's supposed to be like hey it's a commentary on how the world is right now yeah we're concerned about this and right everyone should be too which I, is interesting it's interesting I, I didn't realize that it was actually about global warming and then it was put on hold because of the pandemic because if it had come out before the pandemic i wonder how it would have been accepted like the yeah. yeah i feel i feel like it actually might have been funny um yeah. i think it would have been funny <laughs> yeah. like almost predictive in a way yeah, well, like you I, would watch this and be like, "Oh my god!" And then, like yeah. five months later, lockdowns start happening. You're like, "Oh my god!" Like, don't look up is happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think you could have definitely had that. Yeah, and then I, now we'd be talking. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When I when I saw this, I wasn't drawing comparisons to the pandemic because I'm an idiot. I was thinking about global warming. I was like, "Oh, this is how people are with like the state of the climate and stuff," which was essentially the initial which was goal of the film. But as a human living in 2022, I should have realized that oh, this is also what's happening with COVID. Which is a, a point I want to make and why I think this film works so well. I kind of mentioned it briefly earlier is this film works. If, if your big concern is like, hey, I hate the way healthcare works in this country. You could put that in the place of the comment. Like, why are my government officials not taking it seriously? Why is industry taking advantage of this situation? Uh, why is the government helping industry take advantage of the situation? Which is how Bash functions in this uh, story is it's, it's an industry that instead of just doing the right thing, and let's get rid of this comet. Let's let's remove the problem early. They are going to mine it for valuable materials at the expense of like uh, lower income countries. Like, well, it's going to hit somewhere in like South America, I think. And they kind of pay them off. Yeah, they, there were conspiracies that they pay, that they uh, paid off the Chilean government to allow the comet to hit off their coast. Right. And uh, then that was played out as like. Um, uh, as people, uh, we we have a bunch of illegal Chileans coming over our border because they're afraid of the comet that's not going to hit, right? Um, which I think is yeah, it's also it's also hilarious. So if they played up the movie more after the pandemic happened to make it more ridiculous, but before the rewrite, was it just about global warming or was there still a comet? Yeah, it was it was a comet. Okay, um, but it was all of the rhetoric surrounding uh, climate change. Okay. Yeah, that I would have liked to. I wonder what that version of the movie would have been like. Yeah, I wonder if like this movie would have been like. Oh, yeah, very absolutely. (laughs) I think it would have been hilarious to watch this movie if this movie had come out in like 2016, and we were watching it in 2022. Like, wow, this is hilarious that back then this movie was funny, and now real life is way worse. Right, right, right. You would have enjoyed the movie a lot more. Yeah, in 2016, and then I would have looked at it like, oh man, he. 
he actually understood the so human condition better than I did. You just dislike the movie more because of the social climate that we're in. It's not a satire, right. which is very clearly what it's trying to be because a satire um, should have more farcical elements. It should really be playing up the fact that the, when we take uh, something that happens in real life and just turn it up a couple notches to make it ridiculous and make the point like that's that's funny and that's satire. This is just a drama with like a weird couple like humorous bits in there. Um, that's really like my my issue with it. I don't think it's a poorly made movie. It suffers because of the time it came out, though. I mean, I don't. It's not. It's not necessarily the time it came out. It's that like you you saw all of these things happening. You could have made it more ridiculous if okay. you wanted to be a satire. Okay, I think about people talk about some movies when they say like, oh, if this movie came out now, this would have been way better. Movies like a like we have. A poster of Treasure Planet on the wall, and if that movie came out nowadays, I think people would enjoy it a lot more than when it came out. Mm. So I, I think it's unfair to evaluate a movie based on when it came out because some movies are really good; they just kind of came out at the wrong time. Yeah, I think my issue is more the creative control he had over okay. making it more ridiculous. We talked about Jojo Rabbit not too long ago, and that is purely a satire, mm-hmm. and it is over the top. I think Calvin had the same problem. He was like, "It's not over the top enough." Uh, and I thought it still—I thought it hit the sweet spot of satire, kind of the s- same way this one does. But Jojo Rabbit is more over the top in the way it uses, especially the way it like utilizes Hitler in that movie. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a Hitler in this movie. They don't use it to that extent, I guess. Which I, I suppose I understand where you're coming from, them, Calvin. But I still think it was farcical enough. I have a question, real quick. Yeah, go for it. So knowing that Adam McKay did this movie, and also the other movies like Talladega Nights and Anchorman, uh, Anchorman, the other guys and stuff. Would you guys like to see a version of this movie with uh, Will Ferrell? Is oh, that- my God. <laughs> That's my whole thing is like you can make this movie that tone. Mm-hmm. You could take the tone of Anchorman and make um, uh, Don't Look Up. I think you're so right, actually. And I think, honestly, it plays to an audience so much better. because, And then you really understand that this is supposed to be funny because everyone just knows Will Ferrell does, he does comedy. So yeah. I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right, Calvin. I think this is probably better. If you have Will Ferrell playing uh, Dr. Mindy instead of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. That's such a good point. And Will Ferrell also can be serious. Like, he doesn't need to play Will Ferrell from Step Brothers or something. Have, yeah. Calvin, have you seen Stranger Than Fiction? Yeah, I have seen Stranger it's Than Fiction. It's one of my favorite movies. And Will Ferrell is, like, a pretty serious guy and, like, weird stuff's just happening to him. I feel mm. like he would play that character in this movie. I kind of well. think, think he would actually be better um, as, the, as President Orlean. Um, oh my God. <laughs> that's that's what I'm thinking is like a little bit more understated than his ridiculous uh, uh, antics of Anchorman, but someone that just is clearly out of out of touch. That's a really good. That's a good idea. I hate I, the idea of recasting Meryl Streep, but she does I, a good job too. But I also think that mm-hmm. I just think the addition of Will Ferrell in this movie probably makes it. It probably makes it hit home a little more for the satire and what it's really going for than than Leonardo DiCaprio does. Well, I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio did a bad job at all in this. I think you're probably right. I, McKen, that's an excellent question. I, I think you're right. This movie is one Will Ferrell too short. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have particularly funny moments, right? Like, he's not written funny. No, he should, he should, he should be, like, he's supposed to be that, that uh, type of everyman, like, this is a problem. Um, let's do something about it. I'm going to try and play in both middle grounds so I can create... Um, uh, compromise or he's something. very yeah. pragmatic in this movie yeah that's what you needed until until the affair and at that point the movie just goes off the rails because that's that's not his character anymore that's not his function for the narrative so it's that's why i find it very confusing and distracting is because he should be connecting all of these pieces and it still doesn't work that's the point it's because the machine is so big that really we're talking about like one person's design for a comment being the end of humanity that's that's the comment that's the commentary on uh, late stage capitalism that this movie is saying. It's like even if we wanted to do something, we can't because this is the system that we created. Yeah, the bureaucracy of this movie is like on full display. Well, it's the circumvention of bureaucracy. That's the whole point. Is because he is a platinum level donor. He just gets to walk in whenever he wants. Right. And even if we have set up a government that is well functioning and can do the right things, it can still be undone. Like honestly, I think they they attacked the um the Russian and Chinese plan deflection plan. 
Because it looked like it was an ex- not an, ex- an accidental explosion. It looked like it was an attack. Oh, for sure. That's exactly yeah. what I took from it. Is mm-hmm. it was that was the other government's attempt to deflect or get rid of the asteroid, and it was the U.S. who was like, "No, no, no. We yeah. want the uh, we want the uh, we were for the jobs." Yeah. 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 How can you tell it was intentional? As an assumption, because if they if they uh, uh, cut them out of the mining the the mineral rights, it'd be I think it'd be fairly easy for you to just launch a destructive nuclear weapon at um at a comet and derail it i mean also if you i don't know if you know but like a lot of the uh launch points for uh nasa are actually in russia not in the u.s Hmm. yeah so they're the like russian uh infrastructure is actually a really big deal for space exploration oh you mean launches to go to space not nuclear launches right right. because uh because the only vehicle they use to dock with the ISS is the Soyuz, is they still use the Soyuz, which is a Russian-built transport vessel to the uh, ISS. Mm, yeah. So, so yeah, that makes sense. I, I thought you meant nuclear launches. So I was like, that doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, plenty of people have those nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move forward to just before like the end credit scene, which I think is a, a part that we really want to get to. It's one of, I think, the funnier parts of the movie. Dr. Mindy is reconnected with his family. They're having a family dinner together. The comet is going to impact because Bash's plan has failed miserably, like almost comically. Um, and they're having a dinner together and this is one of the improv lines that Leonardo DiCaprio has. He's like, we really had it all, didn't we? He's like, we really had it all. And it, that just feels like definitely like what Calvin was saying, like the plight of the everyday man is like, we probably have it pretty good. Why can't we just like maintain this? Why can't we just perform the status quo to take care of what we have, which I think is ultimately kind of the message of this movie. Like, why can't we just, why can't we just take care of this? And so I felt like for that being an improv line, I thought it fit very well. Also, Timothy Chalamet is like in that part. And I think he's great. He's barely in this movie, but I thought he was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I have, I have a little thought about it. There's a weird, weird interview with Jennifer Lawrence years ago where she's talking about how hot Timothy Chalamet is. And then she realizes she's like, oh crap, he's like 16. Never mind. And, and so I think, I think she pushed to have Timothy Chalamet be her love interest in this film because she has an actual crush on him in real life that's what i think that's hilarious i i'll buy into that theory i love his just reaction he's like oh what is he he's like uh what kind of potatoes does he like fingerlings yeah he's like yeah. oh i fucking love fingerling potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Like, he has some like comedic chops in this too a big part of this movie i realize is that there's some good comedy in it from actors i wasn't expecting to see it from and so i like those little bits throughout this but we can move further into the post-credit scene again which i think is like kind of one of the more funny parts the government officials and dignitaries and those in power have gotten on a ship that will take them into the uh, to a, to a, a distant planet, like twenty thousand years in the future. They're all in cryosleep and they land on this planet, and they all act so stupid. And I think the reason this part works so well is you've been waiting all movie, like this entire film, for these characters who were so arrogant and blase blah about the threat that was coming to them, and they never get their comeuppance. And the fact that they finally get it at this like post credit th- this post credit scene I thought worked so well. Very satisfying, right? Especially when they get out and like, yeah, we only had forty seven dead in our sector. <laughs> right. I really like the yeah. That's that the end of the movie was pretty funny. I really like the joke about the Brontrock after Meryl Streep gets eaten because uh, when they're at the comet and they're like explaining how they don't they don't know what a Brontrock is because she's supposed to die by one. Because that's what the Bash app says. Yeah, she'll like, die. We don't know what it is. Yeah, and then I, she gets killed by it, and they're like. I think that's a bronze rock. <laughs> yeah, I love that line of like that that running thing. Like, yeah, we we have so many data points on you. We know exactly how we, how you're gonna die. And Peter Ishwell tells um, Doctor Mindy how he's gonna die. You know, sad and alone and blah blah blah. And then President Orlean asks how she's gonna die. He's like, you're gonna be eaten by a bronze rock. She's like. What? What is that? He's like, we don't know. We don't know yet. And I think that's funny right there because it means that like, oh, their data is flawed. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just going by like, oh, the, the computer spit this out. This must be true. We tracked your cookies. We know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it's it's clearly he doesn't die alone and she's not eaten by a Brontorock until the end when she is eaten by a Brontorock, which means that they ignored the fact that their calculations for how the drones were going to break apart the asteroid were wrong 
You know, if their data was so good that they predicted something like in the future, 20,000 years of an animal that had no idea existed. Hey, that's so true. They absolutely pick- knew that their mission wasn't going to work. You're even. just picking a hole in the plot and that's not the point of the movie. No, I'm not. I'm not. Pu- <laughs> I'm not picking a hole in it. Okay. I'm saying like the they, that's how self-serving they were. They were it, being yeah. like he, they decided to ignore all of their own data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which and that to me is an extra level of of nihilism that's so that i was like oh my god she eaten by a bronze like wow that's so much more depressing now than than it was a moment ago when it was funny yeah it's like in a uh, jurassic park when uh when jeff goldblum says like we stood on the shoulders of geniuses and we didn't earn it for ourselves it's like that I always had a problem with that line. Every advancement we've ever had has been on the shoulders of. Someone. I know. That's a, yeah, that, that's literally what <laughs> Isaac Newton. That's literally what Isaac Newton says. Like the only reason I can see far is because I'm standing on the shoulders yeah. of giants. Like yeah. that's how all of human knowledge works. Yeah, I understand the line and how it works in that film, but practically it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like by that logic, everyone should have to invent everything for themselves after they're born, and that's the only way you get any advancement is just whatever happens in your lifetime. So that line never made sense to me, but yeah. it sounds very dramatic and it sounds really it's a good, good line. In it's a good Jurassic line. Park. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the other fun facts I have about this movie is Adam McKay said that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio had a big problem with Meryl Streep being nude during that uh, end credit scene, <laughs> and he was like, "She's basically film royalty," and it, it was a body double for that scene. But he was like, I don't like the idea of Meryl Streep being portrayed with the back tattoo. Yeah, with the tram stamp. Yeah. I saw that. And I was like, <laughs> what? That was who has perfect. a tram stamp? Like, who let on this young girl who has a tram stamp? And I'm like, oh, that's Meryl Streep's I character. I love that she has it. I think it's so funny. And it's just speaks so funny. To, it speaks to, like, that's probably part of the stuff that worked for you in this film. Like, that's part of the satire and farcicalness that worked, I think, probably for you. Yeah. Is the fact that the president would have a tramp stamp. I think that that's, <laughs> I think that's so hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're probably right. If maybe they had pumped more of more aspects of that into the movie, it probably would have functioned a little better for and you. And they could have been little small things. They don't need, you don't need to change a whole lot. You just need to throw things in there that are so non sequitur, like, like the whole like sexual attraction that Jonah Hill's character has towards his own mother. Like, man, if there was ever a president I wanted to see in a playboy. Oh, right. <laughs> I, that's obviously supposed to be a nod to when Trump was like, oh man, if, if Anka wasn't my daughter, I'd probably be dating her. Like, yeah. it's, it's clearly supposed to be a, yeah, a and that's joke why, about that. And that's why I don't find it funny, because it happened. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you're right. It still works for me. <laughs> um, so I think we're, we're getting ready to wrap this one up. Calvin, what were your final thoughts on this? I think that it's a, a good, quirky drama. It's just... It's, I, I find it so strange because it's exactly how life would play out. So it's hard to say that this isn't like a very well-made story because it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think it's like the same problem I have with Denis Villeneuve and um, Dune. Like you had all of the source material right there. Like you didn't really give us a new vision of it. You just gave us exactly what we knew already. And so like right. for me, that's like, you know, there were some good parts. I give it like a like a, a 7.9 DB ASCIIs. Okay, I like that because that's what the comet's name is, right? Yeah, it's which the- I also find funny is like the the whole thing with like the China virus. You know, they're confusing like the who really started the problem and like right. what it's called and how she. Gets oh yeah, it's like it's time. her fault that it's a thing. Like, yeah, it's so silly. Yeah, again, that's just uh, that's a part of the movie that again worked for me because it was like this is so dumb. Yeah, but it happened that way again. Yeah. That's another one to one real world comparison. That right. that's why it's not funny to me. McKinnon, what did you? What's your final thoughts on this film? I'm probably not gonna watch it again until after <laughs> until after the pandemic has settled down, and then I'll probably have a completely different view of it. I think is this when you sit your kids down, 10, 15 years. This from is now, what it was like. Yeah, like this, this was what it was like in my days, my, except much worse. My kids are gonna think that everyone was a cartoon character if I show them this. Like they're are they not? Like is everyone not in the media and? government a cartoon character i right guess now? so we didn't even talk about ron perlman he was crazy in this movie oh my god we didn't talk about ron perlman. okay that's that and that's the perfect amount of satire he's so ridiculous yeah. he's shooting at the comet i love when he's like oh yeah that he's thanking I, everyone the guy on the radio is like hey we need to focus for a second like, why, yeah. haven't, why haven't the two groups of indians done a team up that'd be cool yeah. <laughs> like so out of touch and so wild i think you're exactly right Calvin. That's, like that's yeah. the kind of satire that's the kind of jokes we needed more of in this film for mm-hmm. sure yeah, exactly. What do you rate this one? How many DBS? Did you say 7.9? Yeah, 7.9. It's just so it's many. Well, it's well made. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of surprised by your rating, despite how... How negatively you talked about it. Yeah, because it's, it's trying to be something that it's not. 
if it if it if it was what it wanted to be, it would have been around where Dune was. Like it would have been like mm. an eight point eight, eight point nine. I think I would give it an eight and a half, probably. I was talking to Connor about how this kind of felt like like American Animals, where it was an interesting idea that I hadn't seen before, and that was like the correlation I drew to this one. Yeah. So. No, I think that's a good point. It's it's definitely interesting. I like I said in my first impression, I love this movie. I think it's divisive, but it's a message put out in a way that's digestible enough for a general audience. And that's, that's why I thought it like worked really well. Yeah. I would love to see, you know how at one point they were talking about the, in the plant defense system that came up and like, this is their logo and everything. I would love to see a cut of this movie where they just brought up clips of like the inspiration for every one of the characters or, in, or uh, interactions. Like this is the present talking about injecting ourselves with bleach, like playing in a little corner while she's talking about sit and assess. Right, right. That would be so much funnier and so much more darkly, like so much more black humor from that. Right, I would right. love to see that on YouTube some point. I, I think I just want to close it out. I thought it was fantastic and maddening to watch. And I'd, so I had a lot of fun with this one. I give it a, a 8 out of 10 DBSKs. Excellent. So with that, uh, we're wrapping this one up. Uh, I just want to thank uh, McKenna for being on the podcast again. We love having you as a guest. I love to be here. And as always, uh, I got Calvin with me. Did you want me to say something? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, so yeah, so just make sure uh, you check us out on uh, any platform uh, you want to listen to your podcast, like uh, iTunes or Spotify. We also upload all these to YouTube. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And uh, leave any suggestions for movies we should watch in the future. And with that, thank you for listening to. Now this is podcasting. <laughs>